You are listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Assembly, Sedalia, Missouri. Thank you for tuning in. For more information about the church, you can reach us at www.bethelassembly.info. Tonight, we are in part two of a series that we are simply calling Origin. And tonight, I've titled the message, And Then It Happened. Now, this message is going to be a little different. It's not going to be as much of a sermon as it is possibly a lecture or more information. What I'm going to attempt to do tonight is compare and contrast creation versus evolution. Now, last week we looked at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, 2, and the first half of 3. I told you on the onset of last week that normally as I step into a sermon series, I know approximately how long we're going to be in that series. I could tell you it's going to be a a 6-week series, or a 10-week, or a 13-week. I'm being quite honest with you tonight, I have no idea how long we're going to be in the book of Genesis. So far, we've gotten through two and a half verses. We're on week two. This could be a journey. We're going to hang out a little bit. Uh, I will say again, tonight's message is a little different, but I've put a lot, a lot, a lot of time into this message. Probably more time in this message than I ever put into a message. I began working on it a week and a half ago, worked on it a couple days during that week, worked on it Monday of this week, Tuesday of this week, Wednesday of this week. I believe I got it to the office either late Wednesday afternoon or Thursday morning. We're putting a lot into this, uh, and, not, and I'm not saying that so that you can go, wow, look what he has done. I want you to understand, I haven't just flippantly put stuff on a piece of paper for this message, because I wanted to make sure that the details that I was sharing about creation versus evolution were true. I want to make sure that everything that I have lines up and it is accurate for you. Now, I will also say this, what I'm going to share with you tonight is not at all everything that could be shared. We could easily spend two or three evenings of two and three and four hours per evening just processing through the difference between Christianity or between creationism and evolution. Last Sunday night, like I said, we got through Genesis 1, verse 1, 2, and the first half of 3. This is where it all started. In the beginning, God. We talked about what His role was as God the Father, and His role as God the Son, and His role as God the Holy Spirit. All three had a major role in creation. We talked about the fact that God spoke, and it all began. We also discussed why it's important that it begin with lights. However, there are those in our society today that would have you to believe that God never spoke creation out of chaos. But instead, billions of years ago, an explosion happened, followed by cooling, then millions of years of rain upon a rocky surface, followed by a soupy mixture, then life and now evolution as we know it, and here we are. We're going to break this apart a little bit tonight. Look at a quote, and by the way, I'm going to give you a lot of quotes, some of them from individuals, some from science textbooks tonight. The first quote is Richard Dawkins. 
The author of Put Your Money on Evolution, he said this, It's absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked. It's absolutely safe to say that if you meet someone who claims not to believe in evolution, that person is ignorant, stupid, or insane, or wicked. But now you look at the Bible, and the Bible says in Psalm 53, 1, only fools say in their heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. So who's the fool? The one that says there is no God. The Bible goes on to say in Proverbs 18, fools have no interest in understanding. They only want to air their opinions. Proverbs 26, 6, trusting a fool to convey a message is like cutting off one's feet or drinking poison. So if you cannot trust a fool, then who can you trust? Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. But for a bit of clarity, let's take just a moment and let's look at what is evolution. There are actually six forms of evolution. I would encourage you tonight to take really good notes. Make a lot of notes in the margins on your uh, outline that you receive tonight, maybe on the front and maybe on the back. But I want to give you six forms of evolution. The first is this, cosmic evolution. This is what an evolutionist refers to as the Big Bang, the origin of time and space and matter. We'll look a little bit more at this later on in this message tonight. Number two is chemical evolution. Evolutionists will tell you that the Big Bang created hydrogen and some helium. Yet there are over 100 elements. Where did the other ones come from? Process that for a moment. If the Big Bang created hydrogen and helium, where did the other ones come from? Could it by chance be a a master designer, the creator of the universe? I believe yes. The third form of evolution is stellar or planetary evolution. The origin of stars, the origin of planets, By the way, no one has ever seen a star or a planet form. In fact, there are so many stars that every person on earth could own their own two trillion stars. We see them blow up from time to time. We call this a nova or a supernova, yet we have never seen one form. So if stars are born or even evolved Star birth should equal that of star death. Nova or again supernova. Yet we see the stars die or blow up about every 30 years. But we don't see them ever form or be created. Why? Also, there are only about 300 dead stars that we can see. If evolution is true, then we should see several hundred million of them that are dead even today. Evolution simply isn't true. Number four is organic evolution. 
This is simply the origin of life. How did everything get started? According to the evolutionist, somewhere far, far away in a distant off land, life was created out of non-living material. We have never seen that happen. It simply cannot be true. And we'll talk more about that in just a little bit. The next is macro evolution. This is an animal changing into a different animal. In other words, a dog creates a non-dog. A lizard creates a non-lizard. A cat creates a non-cat. We've never seen this occur. A dog always creates what? A dog. A cat always creates what? Chaos. I mean, a cat. Always something of its own kind. The next is microevolution. Now this can cause a, a little bit of confusion. It's better that we refer to simply this simply as a variation. Variations within kinds. Animals produce a variety of offsprings. A dog will have a puppy. Not all the puppies are going to be brown. Some of the puppies are going to be black and white. Some of them are going to be spotted. Some of them are going to have a patch here or a patch there. Animals produce a variety of offsprings, but always of the same kind. Evolutionists would tell you that it all started with a big bang, but the question that needs to be asked is this, what exploded? According to evolutionists, it all started with a a little dot. One textbook states this, From a state of nothingness, the universe began in a gigantic explosion. From a state of nothingness, the universe began with a gigantic explosion. So grab a hold of this. Nothing exploded and created life. What? Absolutely nothing exploded, but something exploded that was nothing, and it created life. Genesis 1 1 says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Major difference from that of a small dot of nothing spinning faster and faster and faster and exploding into what we know as life. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now remember, last week we discovered that the word created here literally means created out of nothing. So maybe they got that right. Nothing existed, but what we understand is God formed Out of nothingness, not recreated or reformed. It wasn't a DIY project. But God created out of nothing. He formed from, not from pre-existing material. The Bible says it was dark, it was formless, without purpose. It was empty. Genesis 1 verse 2. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep Waters. Now that word deep waters, that idea of deep waters is vitally important. We'll come back to that a little later as well. So what do we do with all of this? Or does it really even matter? Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, well, pastor, why are we wasting our time going back to Genesis? Why are you just preaching Jesus? Why don't we just go to the gospels? Why don't we just talk about the crucifixion? Why don't we just talk about for God so loved the world? Why don't we go back to the miracles that God performed here on earth? Why don't we talk about those things? 
Well, Dennis Lindsay, in the book Foundations for Creation, said this, Satan knows the quickest way to demolish a building is to strike at its foundation. If a person can be persuaded to pull out the first pages of the Bible, the last pages will fall out too. And soon not much will be left. Satan is attempting to destroy the foundation of the Bible by attacking the creation account in Genesis and replace it with atheistic evolution. Why are we taking the time to go back to Genesis? Can I be honest with you? This is the first time in in 19 or so years of ministry that I've ever preached through Genesis. And as I began to process through and God shared that we needed to do Genesis, I was like, are you serious? But can I just tell you how much foundational truth is there? Some things that we need, some foundations that we need. Because by the way, if we don't share the truth here in the schools, they're sharing a bunch of nonsense. In their science classrooms, they're hearing a bunch of junk, a bunch of hoopla. And they're passing it off as facts. They're trying to convince us that evolution is fact. That this big bang is fact. That nothing created something out of nothingness. And it spun faster and faster and exploded. And suddenly there was hot. Now there was cool. Then there was rain. Then there was soup. And then there was life. This false idea of evolution is being taught to our students as fact. Satan's attempt to stir doubt and remove portions of God's word. By the way, I believe that the Bible is 100% accurate. Every letter, every word of God is God-breathed, is God-inspired. From beginning, Genesis 1-1, to the end, the end of Revelation. If evolution is correct, then you are just an accident. You are just a complex, evolved animal and therefore worth nothing. But if the Bible is correct, we are descendants of Adam, who, by the way, was created in the very image of God. Therefore, you have value and you are fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist said it this way, thank you for making me So wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Come on, look at that. That's good news right there. God, I thank you so much that you took the time to design me just as I am. Perfect in every way. Let's look at two observations tonight. Number one, evolution is not fact. It is merely a theory, a belief, a guess at best. Here's what I discovered this week as I did some research. In order for a theory to become fact or even law, scientists begin with a hypothesis. Now, I had to research this because it's been a day or two since I've been in a science class. Scientists begin with a hypothesis, which is sort of a guess of what might happen. 
When the scientists investigate the hypothesis, they follow a line of reasoning and eventually formulate a theory. A theory has been tested thoroughly and is accepted. It becomes scientific law. Evolution is not fact. Evolution is not law. It has been disproved over and over and over again. Charles Darwin, the, one of the original Thoughts behind evolution once said this, there are two or three million species on earth. A sufficient field one might think for observation. But it must be said today that in spite of all the evidence of trained observers, not one change of the species to another is in our record. Duh. Because evolution is just not facts. The second thing we want to observe tonight is this. Creation is a first-hand account. Now, if I was to want to talk to a witness, maybe there was a car accident. I would like to talk to the first-hand witness. I want to talk to somebody that was on the site when it occurred, yes? So creation is a first-hand account. How do I know that? Because the Bible is God-breathed. Guess who our creator is? God. Guess who was there in the beginning? God. It's a first-hand account of the creation of the world as we know it. Our designer, our creator, God Almighty. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. Come on, look at this. All Scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is right. True. The, the problem with truth that I see nowadays is truth is really relative in most people's minds. Well, if it's okay with me, then that must be true for me. If it doesn't hurt me, then it must be all right. It must be true. But did you know there is an absolute truth? There is an absolute right and an absolute wrong. We can rest upon the foundation of God's word to lead us into all truth. The Bible says the Holy Spirit will lead us. And the Bible is God-breathed, which will lead us and teach us what is true. All Scripture. That includes the book of Genesis, which includes, guess what? Creation. Let's go back to how evolution they believe it all began. They state that it began with a, a little dot. I don't have time to, to give you all those details. That number has changed. That size has changed. But at this point, they believe that it was a, a little bitty dot. In fact, one thing that I, I read said a dot smaller than this, the dot or the period on that page. That dot began to spin faster and faster and faster and faster and faster. And then all of a sudden, bang! It happened. But here's the problem. According to science, or more specifically physics, 
The conservation of angular momentum. Anybody remember the conservation of angular momentum? Man, I could tell you anything tonight and you'd be like, okay. Look it up. The conservation of angular momentum states with a spinning system, its spin will remain constant unless it's acted upon by an external torque. In other words, you put yourself on a merry-go-round and you put like three little kids on the merry-go-round and you take a bunch of big guys and they push that thing faster and faster and faster and faster. Eventually, those kids are going to come off that merry-go-round, but they're going to be spinning in the same direction until they hit an external force like a tree. Okay, so here we are. The conservation of angular momentum. So what does that mean? Basically, if an object is spinning in one direction, it will continue to spin in that direction until it encounters an external force. What does that have to do with creation? What's that have to do with the the Big Bang? Well, if everything started with a spinning dot that exploded, then everything would spin in the same direction. Make sense? So why is it that we have two planets that spin in the opposite direction? Venus and Uranus both spin in the opposite direction, opposite that of the other planets. And we have six moons that spin backwards as well. So if science disproves evolution, is it even a theory? Just a thought. Now, creationists believe that the earth was formed simply 6,000 years ago. Now, some of you might say, well, what about carbon dating? Man, there's a lot of confusion there as well. When, the, when Mount St. Helen erupted, they were carbon dating things there that were just a few years old, and they were saying it was billions of years old. A lot of they use circular reasoning to explain this. Well, we, we look at this layer of land or this layer of the ground and, and we base the age of that layer by the fossil. Well, how do we figure out the age of the fossil? Well, we base the age of the fossil off of the age of the land. Well, that's circular reasoning. You can't define this by defining this. It's kind of like saying, well, I believe that the word peanut butter means peanut butter. Doesn't make any sense, right? There's no real definition, no clarity happening. But that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to use circular reasoning to formulate all these things. We believe that the earth was formed about 6,000 years ago. Yet evolutionists believe over 20 billion years ago, it began with a, a big bang. Again, that little small dot spinning faster and faster and faster. And then, boom, nothingness became something. Then 4.6 billion years ago, the earth cooled down to a rocky crust. You see, they believe that, that when the earth formed, the earth's surface was hot with large pools of bubbling lava. But then we see in Genesis 1-2, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the deep, what? Waters. So if the earth was a hot surface with pools of lava, then, then how could there be water? It wasn't water, it would have been steam. Yes, isn't that how water works. When water gets hot, it it boils, and then the water becomes what? Steam. I see a problem here. But from this point, evolutionists believe that three billion years ago, life began. How did it begin? Again, you had the spin, spin, spin explosion. 4.6 
billion years ago, the earth was hot. It began to slowly cool down. They say that rains fell upon the surface for millions of years upon a rocky surface. And then a soupy mixture was formed. And out of that soupy mixture came life. Are you grabbing a hold of this? Spin, 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 explode, hot, boiling, bubbly, hot stuff, suddenly cools down, rain, it rained, and poured, and rained, and poured for millions of years. Now we have a soupy mess, and out of that soupy mess came life. So it's not just that you came from apes, you came from a rock, or further back, you came from soup. Guys, I can't make this stuff up. Go back and research it this week. Now, I like soup. I love chicken and gnocchi. I love steak soup. Come on, somebody. I love pasta fajoule. But I don't believe it's my dad. I'm just saying. Genesis 1.27, so God created Look at your neighbor say, God created. God created man from his own image. In the image of God, he created him. By the way, God's not soup. God's not a rock. God's not a monkey. God is God, the designer, the almighty. So either we were created by a master designer, the God of the universe, or we came from soup. Either we were created in the image of God with a purpose and on purpose, or we simply happen by chance and there's no real purpose for life. We just kind of evolved over time. In the science book, Glencoe Biology, 1994, it made this statement. All the many forms of life on earth today are descended, descended from a common ancestor found in the population of primitive unicellular organisms. Yet the Bible says that this creation was broken down into days of creation. In fact, Genesis 1.25, And God made the beast of the earth according to their kind, that's an important word, according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Look at this, folks. Do you see what's happening? Do you see that this theory, this so-called theory, by the way, that has been proved wrong, so I'm not sure why they're calling a theory any longer. This theory says that out of soup came this life and suddenly that began to evolve to who we are today. The lovers of soup. But Genesis said God created everything according to its kind. Kind refers to species or family of the same kind. One translation said, each able to produce offspring of the same kind. Are you grabbing a hold of this? A dog creates a dog. A chicken, you brought chicken eggs. Have you ever been afraid that you were cracking a chicken egg and suddenly out of that chicken egg would come a bunny rabbit? 
No. A chicken produces a chicken. Or just eggs or, okay, egg drop soup. Let's move on. Evolutionist David Ropp admits that in the years after Darwin, his advocates hoped to find predictable progression. In general, these have not been found, yet the optimism has died hard, and some pure fantasy has crept into textbooks. Some pure fantasy in a time long, long ago. By the way, that number keeps getting further and further out. Why? Because they can't explain it. So if I make it longer and farther and farther out, then this fairyland must be true. What's being taught to our children every day is working as an attempt to discredit the very word of God and therefore discredit our belief in Christ. Charles Singer, the author of A Short History of Science, to the 19th century, 1941, made this statement. Evolution is perhaps unique among major scientific theories in that the appeal for its acceptance is not that there is evidence of it. Did you see that? But that any other proposed interpretation of the data is wholly incredible. James Gorman, the author of The Tortoise and the Hare, wrote this. Evolution is not only under attack by the fundamentalist Christians, but it's also being questioned by reputable scientists. Among paleontologists, scientists who study the fossils' records, there is a growing dissent from the prevailing view of Darwinism. Let me read again the quote from Charles Darwin that I read a few moments ago. There are two or three million species on earth, a sufficient field one might think for observation. But it must be said today that in spite of all the evidence of trained observers, not one change of the species to another is on record. There is so much evidence to disprove evolution, yet they continue to run back to it time and time again, attempting to refer to it as facts it's just a theory it's not fact a theory by definition is this a system of ideas intended to explain something but unless i'm mistaken they said it was nothing nothing spun around and round nothing was a little dot that spun around and around and exploded but now they're calling it a theory trying to explain something They try to get you to believe because bone structure is similar to certain animals that they came from like ancestors. Could it be, possibly, that it had the same designer? Oh. Have you ever gone to look at a house and you're like, oh, I know who built this because they have this certain thing they put in all their houses. Or I know the maker of this because they, they do this every time they create one of these. I had a, one of our guys here in church many years ago that created our cabinets. The guy that created them said that he used to put his signature on every one of his cabinets. Does that mean that every one of those cabinets evolved from the same piece of wood? No, the same creator created them. Evolutionists would state that homologous parts on animals proves common ancestry. But let me explain homologous parts. A common example of 
homologous structure is the forelimbs of vertebrates. Where the wing of a bat or the arm of a primate, the front flipper of a whale or the forelegs of a dog or horse, all derive from the same ancestral tetrapod structure. And now again in the Glencobiology book it says this, the commonality, uh, commonality suggests that these and other vertebrate animals are all related. They probably evolved from common ancestor. Again, could it be, could it be that they just had the same designer? Could it be that the same creator created the wings of the bats, the arm of the primates, the front flipper of the whale? Could it be that the same designer put them all together? By the way, these bones are also known to develop from different genes. But here's what I've discovered. Evolution isn't telling the truth. It turns out that most modern findings of contemporary science have established that science and faith are not at war, but that science, when done right, points powerfully toward the existence of a God who happened to match the description of the God in the Bible. Let me, let me say that again, because about seven or eight of you grabbed a hold of that. The rest of you were a little timid. It turns out that most modern findings in contemporary science have established that science and faith are not at war, but that science, when done right, points powerfully toward the existence of a God who happens to match the description of the God of the Bible. And by the way, that's the designer, the creator of the world. It was a stunning affirmation of what the Bible says about God in Colossians chapter 1. It says, for everything, absolutely everything, above and below, visible and in, uh, invisible, rank after rank after rank of angels, everything got started in Him and finds its purpose in Him. It was Sir Fred Hoyle, professor of astronomy at Cambridge University, that once said this, the chance that higher life forms might have emerged by chance it's comparable to the chance that a tornado sweeping through a junkyard might assemble a Boeing 747 airplane from the material, materials therein. The likelihood of the formation of life from inanimate matter is one, or is one out of ten with 40,000 zeros after it. It is big enough to bury Darwin and the whole theory of evolution. Now here's something that I want you to ponder tonight. We are told that if we deny evolution, and if we claim that God made everything, that we are the most uneducated, backwards, ignorant people in the world. Evolutionists believe it is totally irrational to have faith in God. You've probably heard before, but in order to not have faith in God, you have to have faith in evolution. You will place your faith in something. And I believe it takes more faith to believe that we just came from nothing than it does to believe that there's a loving creator that made us. Created us in his image with a purpose. 
and a plan. Evolution says that life is just chance. That life just happened. The rains came down and the waters flooded the area and suddenly there's a soupy mixture and out of the soup came life. Life just happened by chance. But God, the creation says God created us with intelligence and design. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. Evolution says you're just an overgrown ape or more specifically from a rock or soup. Creation says you were made in the very image of God. Evolution is all about survival of the fittest. But creation and scripture reveal that God looks out for the weak. He looks out for the broken. He looks out for those that are beat up and those that are all alone. Evolution says Jesus is a fraud. But the Bible says he created us and wants to recreate us. It was Albert Einstein that once said this. There are only two ways to live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle, and the other is as, is as though everything is a miracle. Come on, look at that. It's, it's one or the other. By the way, Albert Einstein was a pretty smart guy. It's either nothing is a miracle, or it's everything is a miracle. I believe we serve the God of miracles. I couldn't ask for better scientific proof that a creator exists than to have creation right in front of me. To be totally honest, you don't have to have much faith to believe in a creator. All you need is a set of eyes that can see and maybe in a brain that works. If, however, I want the creator to do something in me, then I need to have faith in him. Hebrews 11 says it's impossible to please God without faith. What is faith? Faith is the evidence of things unseen. It's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Either there is nothing, there's no miracle at all, or everything is a miracle. Will you rest upon God tonight? Will you rely upon him tonight? Will you turn to the God of miracles, the creator, the designer of it all tonight? If evolution is true, then God does not exist. You can stop asking him for help. If evolution is true, it's, it's not that God is dead. It's that God never was. If evolution is true, there's no life after death. This is the best it gets. It could be worse. You could be swimming in soup. If we just evolve, then there's nothing after this life. You better live it up. This is all you get. If evolution is true, then... There is no absolute right or wrong. Anything goes. You get to decide what is right. If we just evolve, then who says that murder is wrong? If evolution is right, who says that rape is wrong? Abuse. Is it wrong? If there's no creator, then there's no creator to be modeled after. There's no standard of right and wrong. Anything can go. If evolution is true, there's no ultimate meaning for life. Do whatever you want. 
It's really all a waste anyway. Life has no meaning. You're just going to live a little here on earth and then you're dead. There's no hope. But if God did in fact create the world, then God does in fact exist. And again, our text says that in the beginning, God, God in all capacities, God was involved, I'm sorry, involved in creation. By the way, if you missed last week's message, let me encourage you, go back and listen to it. Grab a hold of last week's message. In the beginning, God created. If creationism is true, there is life after death, eternity in heaven. There's coming a day when Jesus will come and take those that trust and rely upon him, those that have called out to him. He's coming to take us home. And by the way, he's preparing a place for us. That one day He will come again and take us to be with Him to a place where there's no sorrow, to a place where there's no sickness, to a place where there's no pain, to a place where there's no more death, but eternity with life and hope and worship of God Almighty, our Creator and our Designer. If creationism is true, there is a set of standards to show us what is right and wrong. It's a guidebook for life. But we've got the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us into all truth. There's a moral standard, an absolute, in which all of life is measured upon. If creationism is true, there is ultimate meaning for life. There's purpose for your life. There's a reason for tomorrow. There's a reason to get out of bed each and every day. Tonight, I didn't by any chance cover every aspect of creation versus evolution. But I hope that this gave you an insight of the fantasy or the error that is being taught and poured in to our students each and every day. I challenge you tonight, put your faith in God. Allow Him to not only be your Creator, but to be your Savior, your friend, your Redeemer, your everything. See, He not only created you, but He wants to recreate you. The old man has passed away. Behold the new man is alive my old man died with Christ but behold it's not me that lives anymore it's Christ that lives in me I want to challenge you tonight put your faith completely in God from beginning to end